Hard to believe that song is 35 years old, and hard to believe it's been over four months since our last episode of Bionic Planet. But we're back now, and we'll see how many of you are still with us. From here on in, we'll be generating shorter, simpler podcasts, but bringing you more of them. Today, we have a pretty straightforward one. With climate talks resuming this week in Bonn, Germany, we should be focusing on the agenda there, which involves the creation of rules for implementing the Paris Climate Agreement, We will be covering that later in the week. But for now, the Trump show has again stolen the spotlight with the U.S. president threatening to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Some people say that might not be such a bad thing, because even if he leaves and takes U.S. funding with him, at least he'll be out of the way. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth. We broke it, we own it. And nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields and not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet? Or is nature itself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today we ponder the role of the United States in the Paris Climate Agreement. Plenty of outlets are asking what happens if the U.S. leaves. We're asking something else. What happens if we stay and mess everything up? There's an old saying, if you're not willing to lead, then get out of the way. That's the voice of Kevin Conrad, who represents Papua New Guinea in UN climate talks. The year was 2007, almost a decade ago. The place was Bali, Indonesia. The occasion, UN climate talks, which George W. Bush's U.S. negotiating team had been gunking up with silly games and doublespeak for years. And I would ask the United States, we ask for your leadership. We seek your leadership. But if for some reason you are not willing to lead, Leave it to the the rest of us. Please get out of the way. The U.S. did get out of the way, as we'll recount in a second. But here we are, 10 years on, and it's deja vu all over again. Except this time, the world isn't haggling over how to fix the climate mess. Instead, negotiators are meeting in Bonn, Germany, this week and next, to begin implementing the bottom-up fix that the world has already agreed on a fix the United States was instrumental in creating, namely the Paris Climate Agreement, which is a flexible framework that gives every country the leeway to meet the climate challenge as it sees fit. The agreement does require the creation of science-based rules for measuring and monitoring emissions, and the world's media should be focused on the substantive efforts to develop a detailed rulebook 
for handling international cooperation on emission reductions, because that's what they're working on in Bonn. But here we are again, asking what will happen if Trump pulls out. At first, I called Jos Kozainen, a former negotiator for the Dutch government, and he assured me that, from a rational perspective, the United States has no reason to either leave or torpedo the talks. But, you know, this is not, this is not Kyoto anymore. You can't block anything anymore. It's, 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 we're beyond there. We're beyond. It's now more, how can we gain this climate policy? You don't want to block it. Come on. But others aren't so optimistic. So I called my colleague, Gus Silva-Chavez, who runs the Forest Trends Red X Initiative, which tracks carbon finance, finance that depends on accurate measurements of greenhouse gas emissions and reductions. Gus has been one of my go-to sources on climate policy since long before he joined Forest Trends, and he's actually more worried about Trump staying in the accord and sabotaging it than he is about him leaving. I told Gus what Jos had said, And he agreed, but pointed out that there are sneaky, sleazy ways of slowing things down, and Republican negotiators have a history of doing just that. You know, look look at Article 6. So that's the stuff that people care about, markets. Some background. Article 6 of the Paris Accord makes it possible for countries to cooperate with each other to cut their emissions even deeper by using so-called internationally transferred mitigation outcomes, or ITMOs. These are essentially carbon offsets, and the agreement says that countries can manage their own offsetting internationally, but they must follow accounting principles approved by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which negotiators have been working on for literally decades. It's complicated stuff, but I've created some written material that may help you understand it. You can find that in the show notes of today's program at bionic-planet.com. Just look for episode 12. That's bionic-planet.com, episode 12. For now, the important thing to know is that, even though it's complicated, 99% of the work has already been done. So the U.S. could go into that negotiation willing to negotiate, but willing to basically water down everything so that there's no environmental integrity. So they, they could go in and they could say, hey, we love the private sector, and, you know, governments are evil and that's what we should do. And that's what we're doing in the U.S. And we want to, you know, push the private sector to invest in, you know, nuclear and, you know, all that stuff. They're not the only ones who, who want nuclear. But then they could go in and say, you know, the U.N. is not going to tell the U.S. what to do. You know, we don't need an extensive, detailed rule book. All we need is the basics. And no, we're not going to agree to anything more. So then you'll have other countries who will say, no, no, we actually, you know, we need registries. We need to avoid double counting. We need a lot more than just anything goes. A quick note here. Registries in carbon markets are like a clearinghouse in stock markets. Once you generate a certified, verified emission reduction, it's put into a registry. So the same emission reduction isn't double counted. That's a cornerstone of carbon markets. And then that's that's when the clash is going to be. Now, the U.S. could do several things. One is they could say, okay, fine, we're going to just speak up and say what we want. And if other countries disagree with us, then we'll, we'll, we'll let it go. Or they could, you know, actively try to block everything and just say, you know, hey, we're, we're not going to agree to this accounting system. We're not going to agree to, you know, this carbon mechanism uh, rule book. And then that's when, you know, you start getting stuck because then it's going to be the, well, what can we agree on? Well, the U.S. objects to this. The U.S. will inevitably pull other countries because they're the U.S. So all of a sudden, it's not just the U.S. is blocking, it's the U.S. and allies 
are blocking and either nothing happens, there's no decision. So you've got 2020 coming up and we'll have to be like, oh, you know, we don't have the rule book because we haven't gotten to it. Or we'll have a rule book that's going to be really just crappy. But they can't go back and, and renegotiate the agreement itself, can they? I can see them going into Bonn and basically saying the NDC that we negotiated, that was that was Obama. We've got a new target. Another side note, NDC, which you mentioned there, is Nationally Determined Contribution, which is a country's climate action plan. Countries submit them voluntarily. And the Obama administration submitted a plan or an NDC that was pretty lame compared to other countries. But it was achievable based on everything the U.S. was already doing. The rule on NDCs is that you can't backslide. You're supposed to voluntarily submit something you can achieve and then voluntarily ratchet it up over time. The Obama administration figured that once cogent beings started paying attention to this stuff and realized how it all worked, the country would rally to the cause. Already, businesses in some states are doing so, but the Trump administration isn't. So, A, that's going to be kind of the marker. We have, we've, got, we've got a new target. And then I think the other realistic position will be, well, we disagree with what was agreed to in Paris, and we need to renegotiate Paris. So, you know, the rest of the world's going to be like, no, no, you, you guys agreed to this. It is, quote unquote, legally binding, you know, there's, there's flexibility. No, we're not going to do that. And again, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know what their real goal is. You know, is, is their goal to really just try to block this and not let it go anywhere? Or, or is it, well, you know, we, you know, we don't really believe in this, but, you know, fine. We need the international community for other things. So we can't be, we, we can't, you know, we can't really block it, you know, everything. <clears throat> but, you know, we're going to just kind of just slow things down and, and see what we can, you know, renegotiate. So, um, so best case is they leave. It, we don't have a good outcome. If, if the U.S. stays, the current administration is probably not going to be friendly. And they're probably going to cause a lot more damage than we want. If they leave, it's a giant middle finger to the world. They're basically saying, you know, we're not part of this at all. We're not going to spend money for, you know, the Green, green Climate Fund. We're not going to do anything. We're out. And that's going to be a pretty bad signal. Now, the big if here is if the rest of the world says, fine, you know, this administration is just batshit crazy. We're still going to go forward and we're going to wait it out and we're going to negotiate the rules and we're going to start implementing. And then hopefully the next administration will be able to jump back in. Great. Then that, that's, a, that's a pretty good outcome. Now, of course, the biggest risk is what happens if India decides, hey, if the U.S. is out, we're out. Then India then starts pulling Brazil, South Africa. Then that starts pulling, you know, the LDCs who are like, wait a minute, you know, we're not going to get any money. We're not going to get any mitigation from you guys. What, what, what's going on? So that's the biggest, that's the biggest risk. And no, nobody knows what's going to happen. After Marrakesh, and since Marrakesh, everybody on the record has said all the right things, which is if the U.S. leaves, we're moving forward. But you know, it's one thing to just say these things and, you know, try to speculate about what the U.S. will and won't do. It's another thing is, you know, if on Tuesday, on the second day of the bond meeting, it's announced that the U.S. is out, then nobody knows what's going to happen. If I go, there will be trouble.
that sounds far-fetched or petty or nasty, take a look at what House Republicans just did on health care. Or take a look back to the bad old days of the second Bush administration, which put an unknown congressional staffer named Harlan Watson in charge of climate negotiations. I only met Watson once, and he seemed cordial. But then I started covering the stuff in Bali towards the end of his tenure. You mention his name to people who were negotiating then, and they get the willies. And I'm not exaggerating. They literally wince. If any old-timers are listening, I apologize for not offering a trigger warning before mentioning him. Watson was essentially a human wrench tossed into the gears of global diplomacy by ExxonMobil for the sole purpose of grinding those gears to a halt, and he was effective. The parallels to today are frightening. ExxonMobil inserted Harlan Watts into the Bush administration via a fax, which, quote, ExxonMobil spokesman Russ Roberts said was sent by the company but not written by any of its employees. That's from Washington Post reporter Juliet Alprin, and I'll put a link to her story in the show notes on bionic-planet.com. But I ask you, does that kind of doublespeak sound familiar? Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts. Harlan Watson, along with Undersecretary of State Paula Dabransky and an energy industry lawyer named James Connaughton, formed an unholy triumvirate of obstruction that stalled global climate action for eight years. They did it by raising any objections they could and then finding new ones when those were overcome. Sound familiar? One day, for example, they'd argue that it was unfair to ask developing countries to reduce their emissions. The next day, they'd argue it was unfair for developed countries to help developing countries along. It went on like that for years. Remember the audio we opened with? And I would ask the United States, we ask for your leadership. We seek your leadership. But if for some reason you are not willing to lead, leave it to the rest of us. Please get out of the way. Well, that started because Harlan Watson opposed any mention of numbers or targets because, quote, Once numbers appear in the text, it prejudices the outcome and will tend to drive the negotiations in one direction. Duh, that's kind of what negotiations are about. That's the quote that circulated in the halls. But he said almost the same thing when asked to clarify himself during a press conference. I'll repeat what I said. Our principal difficulty with having any numbers in the text to begin with, and it might prejudge outcomes. Well, negotiations ground to a halt. But Al Gore, the right wing's favorite whipping boy, showed up. I am not an official of the United States, and I am not bound by the diplomatic niceties. So I am going to speak an inconvenient truth. My own country, the United States, is principally responsible for obstructing progress here in Bali. We all know that. We all know that. But but my country is not the only one that can take steps to ensure that we move forward from Bali with progress and with hope. Those of you who applauded when I spoke openly about the diplomatic truth here, have a choice to make. You can do one of two things here. 
you can feel anger and frustration and direct it at the United States of America. Or you can make a second choice. You can decide to move forward and do all of the difficult work that needs to be done and save a large, open, blank space in your document. Contrary to what many conservative media reported at the time, he didn't just slam the United States, but challenged the rest of the world to act. And he told them they'd have a good chance of seeing that blank spot filled. Over the next two years, the United States is going to be somewhere it is not now. You must anticipate that. It worked. Negotiators soldiered on through the night, and they passed a watered-down agreement that met Watson's objections. Then, in open plenary, Under Secretary of State Paula Dabransky said this. I have to say that, uh, you know, the formulation that has been put forward, we cannot accept. Thank you. That prompted Conrad's famous exasperated retort, and then this happened. We will go forward and join consensus in this today. As we all know by now, Barack Obama won the next election, and his team incrementally helped shepherd the talks that resulted in the Paris Agreement, an incredibly flexible approach to fixing the climate mess that encourages a race to the top instead of binding targets. Unfortunately, I've got to run now, so on that inelegant note, I'll have to wrap up today's show. But we're back now, and I'll be here more regularly. If you have any feedback, send me an email at steve at bionic-planet.com. If you record a comment and send an MP3, I may play it on the air. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick, coming to you this week from Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and then later from Bonn, Germany. Thanks for listening.